This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hi there, this is Carrie Byron from Mythbusters and now the White Rabbit Project. You're listening to THN with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode number eight of the 200 Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum. You can follow me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitters, where I've been playing Fashion Police with the new X costumes. They suck. I hate it when Iceman wears pants. It's dumb. Iceman does not need a uniform. He doesn't need a hooded sweatshirt. He doesn't need a shirt. He's just ice. Boom. Done. So I you don't know just why want we... Iceman to not wear paint. I'm just saying. But I'm taking away from I don't know why we can't see dude's dick, but it's never been a problem. He it... was always wearing pants. <laughs> or at least shorts. Ice pants? He had shorts on under there. I hate it. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, where I've been shaming everyone, especially Archie Comics, for ruining the Riverdale season finale moments after it aired. Yeah, they're worse than the WWE, man. Like, if Raw's on, don't check Twitter. Yeah. The WWE would be the first to be like, he lost! <laughs> like, whoa, hey! Assholes. <laughs> you can follow this stinking show, at 2 at a nerd for all the comic book BS uh, that I post there. I do post comic book You do post BS them there. there, it's true. In this week's episode, Joe and I will yell at Bane for charging in the battle before checking our group's DPS, and then we'll have brunch with the Alrids and talk about bugs. After that, Joey and I are going to shed some pounds running for our lives while we review 10 of this and last week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We'll talk about next week's comics. We're going to rap about Guardians of the Galaxy and even read another postcard from Da Orca. It's all happening, Joe. So strap in, listen nerds, because these hosts could get fired for our comic investigations at any moment. So let's talk about this week's news. They can't fire me. I'm the president of this podcast. President podcast. Mike Mignola's Hellboy is getting rebooted with a new movie franchise starring Stranger Things actor David Harbour in the title role. And directed by Neil Marshall. His head is already perfect. He's yeah. got like that weird block head and a huge forehead. Man, I can't wait. Uh, for those of you that don't uh, know actors' names like myself, David Harbour played the sheriff yeah. on Stranger Things. He's great. Mignola announced the news on Facebook and more details soon followed from The Hollywood Reporter. Tentatively titled Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen, the R-rated movie is being written by Mignola with his frequent collaborator Christopher Golden and... Eureka creator Andrew Cosby, who I did not know was also the guy that founded Boom Studios. And the co founder, Bill Cosby's brother. False. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, that was the other Andrew Cosby. Sorry. <laughs> uh, who cares about producers? Neither Guillermo del Toro or Ron Perlman, the director and star of the previous two films, are involved in this reboot. I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with it. I don't have a problem with Ron Perlman. In the costume and looking like Hellboy, he was great. I did not like either of Guillermo del Toro's movies. Mm. I'm, hot take. According, Both Hellboy movies sucked. <laughs> oh, man. According to THR, del Toro's talk earlier this year of doing a third Hellboy film himself was stymied by the director's push for a larger budget. Incoming director Neil Marshall is best known for his horror film, The Descent, which is great. It was totally great. The and second one was really good too. I didn't see the second <laughs> one. Uh, he also has directed some episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay. The first Hellboy film. I was like how you say that. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Of like Game of Thrones. Game, Game, of- Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's like how I say Mountain Dew instead yeah. of Mountain Dew. <laughs> the first Hellboy film was a moderate box office success, but the sequel's momentum was cut short when Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Hit theaters just six days after Hellboy, Sorry. The Golden Army. Well, the Golden Army sucked, man. It sucked. Okay? I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't need Hellboy fighting the Lord of the Rings. I need Hellboy fighting things that go bump in the night. You know? Not elves and gnomes and dwarves and Abe Sapien just like falling in love with one and fucking everybody. <laughs> you know? Like, dumb. Hey, you had some of that weird Pan's Labyrinth eyeball. I know. Look, the imagery guide. was great. The movie was not good. This is what I want. A rated R Hellboy film. Film, written by Mike McGill right, and Christopher stop. Golden. I want to stop you right there. Why? Why does a Hellboy film need to be rated R? So it can be scary as hell. I want there it to be terrifying. There is nothing about Hellboy that is terrifying. Nudity. No. 
None of that. This is what I I'm totally afraid disagree. of. I'm afraid of them taking Hellboy and being like, now we can really get into it and having to be gory and bloody. I and disagree. I, First words, that is not Hellboy. Hellboy is bloody. It's very bloody. It's, it's just not. stylistically bloody. It's all, there's always blood and guts in Hellboy, but it's very stylistically done. I would say if you really want to dig into the occult stuff, the real Satan worship, Aryan nation, terrifying shit behind Hellboy. Yes. Make it rated R. I am sick of PG-13 horror movies. Horror movies are not for kids. They're for adults. Let's make them scary again. I love this. I totally disagree with you about the rating. Help. They're... Like I don't, I don't care about R-rated movies. Like I'm fine with R-rated movies, but there's nothing about Hellboy that says I need this to be way more edgy and adult. It's I'm saying perfectly fine. I want a Hellboy movie that is too scary for Joe Patrick to watch. No, that's nonsense. That's what I want. The draw of Hellboy is the old world folklore horror. The I get gothic that. There's no reason why we can't make it scary atmosphere. again. No, it doesn't need to be full of blood and guts and salivating monsters. That's not Hellboy to me. Uh, whatever. You're a crybaby. No. It has nothing to do with me not wanting it to be scary. It can still be scary. Moving right along, according to Variety, FXX has picked up a Deadpool animated series co-written by Donald Glover and his brother, screenwriter Stephen Glover. The first season of 10 episodes is expected to premiere in 2018. If you're keeping count, this is Fox's third venture into bringing the X-Men universe to television after the recently wrapped Legion. We both like that a lot. And they just picked up and announced The Gifted. Whatever. Marvel's Jeff Lowe will act as producer with the Glovers serving as showrunners. If you haven't watched it, FXX also has the Glover sitcom Atlanta. It is amazing. Truly amazing. Donald Glover might be one of the most talented people we know in Hollywood right now. I love that guy. Glover has a long history with comic books and comic book media, having voiced Miles Morales, a character partially inspired by him on the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, appearing in Spider-Man Homecoming in a still- undisclosed role and starring Lando in the currently in production Han Solo film, which we could not be more excited about. Also, coincidentally, Glover's Atlanta co-star Zazie Beetz is going to play Domino in the upcoming Deadpool 2. This is a lot of Deadpool news. Do we need a Deadpool cartoon? My gut was like, ah, Deadpool cartoon? No, why? But from FS from FXX, these are the guys that brought us Archer. This I'm is the only it. way we get the Deadpool Archer crossover that we've all well, been begging for. <laughs> uh, that's probably not going to happen. But cartoon version of Deadpool is the only way we're going to get any sort of continuing adventures of the character outside of the movies. I suppose. And in the cartoons, they can do all the crazy shit that they can't do in the movies. Yeah, they can do all the wackadoo stuff they want to do. The only thing is, and it's just like my problem with the other X stuff they're bringing TV well, maybe they can touch more on the X-Men in this, but they can't touch on anything else. Well, it's Fox. They, they can do what they want. Yeah. I mean, like, I hope Wolverine shows up and Colossus is there and stuff like that. Without that, I don't know if I care. And I hope they're not trying to isolate it kind of the way they're isolating the live action TV shows. Not everything's got to have goddamn Wolverine in it. I'm not saying that. Let's talk about the new mutants on the all X news. Here. Yeah, I guess... According to The Hollywood Reporter, the first two members of the big screen New Mutants have been cast with actress Maisie Williams set to play Wolvesbane. I love that. And Anya Taylor-Joy cast as Magic. I don't know who that is. Uh, Taylor-Joy broke out with the 2015 award-winning period horror movie oh. The Vavitch. Oh. And also she starred with James McAvoy in M. Night Shyamalan's surprise hit Split. All right. I did not know she was also in The Witch. Yeah. I saw Split. I did not see The Witch. Probably too scary for me. It was way too scary for you. Williams, of course, plays Arya Stark on HBO's Game of Thrones. No, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, <laughs> which launches its seventh season in July. July. My God. I know. I know. Writer-director Josh Boone reportedly began talks with the two actresses last year, but could not confirm the casting until the film was fully greenlit. The report also states that the studio is conducting a wide search for quote-unquote ethnically appropriate actors Ugh. to play characters <laughs> such as Sunspot and Danny Moonstar to most accurately reflect the characters from the page on the screen. Thank goodness for that. Well, good. New Mutants will focus on the angst-ridden adventures of a diverse group of teens that include Native American Danielle Moonstar, Scott's girl, Wolfsbane. That was a weird way to phrase that. Briz Scott's girl. That's how they phrased it. Oh, Scott, like Scottish girl. Scott. She's a girl that's also a Scott. Scott's woman. Brazilian ladies man, Sunspot, and a Kentuckian codenamed Cannonball. 
and a Russian team named Magic. We All already right. talked about Magic. All right. And apparently Warlock is going to be in there somewhere too. You got to. If they bring Warlock to the mo- to the movie, I will be I will freak out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was super he- happy to hear about this because they had talked Seems about like a slam dunk. Oh yeah. With casting. Well, they talked dude. about a new mutants movie a couple years ago, I yeah, think. And then it kind of fell forever. off. And then we had old man Logan, where we saw a group of young kids you know, running around as mutants. And some people went, Oh no, is this our new mutants? No, Are they doing no, like all no, new no. stuff? And I said, no, no, don't worry that about movie that. movie takes place like 10 or 15 years in the future. I, know, I have had to tell several people that yeah. this is not the new mutants. Yeah. Settle down. Calm down, baby. <laughs> Yes, these are perfectly good casting announcements, and New Mutants seems to be the perfect film to get your mutant diversity quota with your Brazilian guy, your, your Native American. I mean, it's everything about this. Seems, Calling it a diversity quota makes you sound like an asshole. Well, I'm just sounding like an executive now. They're the ones that said they are looking for ethnically appropriate actors. Yes, I mean, and that's what you want. You want yeah. somebody to actually be paying attention to I what know. the characters and are like. That's good. Josh Boone is the director of... Uh, he made The Fault in Our Stars, in which our stars. is... Uh, one of those young adult tearjerker movies. Yeah, and hasn't done a lot more than that. He's slated to do a bunch of other he's gonna, stuff. He's doing the remake of Stephen King's The Stand, yeah. which is weird. So I don't know. I mean, so far, good casting. I love The New Mutants. I don't know nothing about no Josh Boone, though. I hope they can do something better with The New Mutants than they did with the last X movie, which I don't know where the X-Men franchise goes from here, but we'll see, oh, I guess. Boy, I don't either. Yeah. And, yeah, and so... It sounds like from this description, they are adapting like the legit 1980s. I guess. For real new mutants. Right. None of this nonsense like it's X-23 and a bunch of weird characters that are from the last five to ten years. Right. It's it, No, it's magic. I and still, it's Wolf's Bane. I and still it's need cut. to know when does this take place? Yeah. Is it set? I don't need to know when it takes place. Well, I, I, don't mean, care. I really don't Are care. they going to set it in the 2000s since the last X movie was in the 90s or I don't know. We'll have to find out. I mean, I think it would have to be old enough so that the X-Men that we've seen in the last movie or two are right now reaching out to younger students. They're firmly establishing that the X-Men are going to jump through decades, you know? So yeah. I guess we got to see where this fits. I think that they announced that the next X-Men movie is Dark Phoenix yes. related. So. That is announced. So I don't know. I think, yeah, I think we're looking at another time jump. Probably. Which is fine with me. Regardless, great casting so far. Yeah, if keep it up because uh, I mean I am I am thrilled at Arya Stark as Wolfsbane. I think that's going to be so great. Oh yeah, I think it's wonderful. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, head over to the Two Headed Nerd Forums Big News section. I want to know who you guys think should do the voice of Warlock. Obviously, oh, it's going to be all CG. I want to talk about uh, on Monday the uh, the trailer for the Gifted. Fox show that Matt is dismissing is dropping. They they put out a teaser. The full trailer is supposed to hit on Monday. Next week is cover to cover, so we're not going to have a chance to really talk about it in the news. I want to talk about this trailer. Yeah, call so, in. Talk about us about it. Every other Sunday, Brazilian man's man, Joe Patrick, muy caliente, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? Brazil. I understand that they speak Portuguese in Brazil, not... Spanish, but still. Okay, good. I just, I like to say that. Just muy, offended an entire country. I just like to say muy caliente. <laughs> this week's question comes from Jesse Kiefer, host of the Grawlix podcast. We love that guy. We support them on Patreon, and so should you. Jesse writes, quote, as of free comic book day, Pepe the Frog is dead. Yeah. Pepe. Be- sad. Pepe became something that creator Matt Fury couldn't contain and ultimately couldn't reconcile. In the end, he did the last thing that was left to him. He killed the character. So suck it, uh, whatever your name is. Richard Spencer. (laughs) So here's my question. Uh, That last part was for me, not from Jesse. Okay. So here's my question. What are the most justified deaths or endings in comics? For example, killing Pepe to redeem the character, the death of Peter Parker's marriage to Mary Jane to undo J. Michael Straczynski's terrible Spider-Man run. Sure. When is the scorched earth option the best or maybe only answer? I like it. So it's not just as simple as like best character death. It's like, no, why did we need it? Why did we need this like hard reset to occur? You can call the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 and leave us a message. Or you can also email your MP3 answer to two headed nerd at gmail.com. You've got two minutes to get your answer out. You'll get cut off if you don't. And as part of the all-new, all-different 
THN Cover to Cover, you'll also be able to call in live using the Ziggurat Hotline. We did it last week during Free Comic Book Day. It yep. was fun. It was great. We'll send out a Twitter blast, a Facebook burst. Uh, burp. Facebook burp. A Facebook burp. A, a LinkedIn um, no. fart noise. <laughs> to let you know when the show goes live. So follow us on all the social medias if you want to be internet famous. If you need more than two minutes, head over to the THN web forums. Join our hive mind listeners there in the discussion. If you don't have time or the stones to call in to the answer of the week, the forums are the perfect place to rap about everything we do on this show and more. It's review time in the ziggurat where this week I forced Matt to beat up on one of his favorite creators. It's true. I didn't want to. Take it away. This week, my main review goes to Bane Conquest, number one from DC. This is one in a 12-issue miniseries. Woof. Yeah. Written by Chuck Dixon with art by Graham Nolan, 32 pages for $3.99. We can all agree that no hero has a better and more creative villains gallery than Batman. Of those amazing villains, Bane is easily my favorite. Maybe it was a Mexican wrestling mask or the age I first met the character, but Bane is my favorite bat nemesis. Can we real quick, can I real quick pause to reflect on the mask? I understand that it's very luchador inspired, but I really hate the version of Bane where his nose and mouth are very closely cut out. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> Bane is easily my favorite bat nemesis. And I met him with his very first appearance in the pages of Batman vengeance of Bane way back in 1993 by this very creative team. Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan were the creators that introduced a young Matt bomb to Batman as well, who at the time was swearing by his X-Men and Daredevil books. I didn't need no DC universe. It was this creative team that made me fall head over heels for bats and lead me neck deep into the DCU. So when I heard that Dixon and Nolan were teaming up for another Bane mini, not a four issue, not a six issue, but a goddamn 12 issue maxi series, maxi series. I could not have been more excited. With that said, <laughs> the title of the classic Thomas Wolfe novel, You Can't Go Home Again, has never rung more true wow. than while Matt Baum read Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan's return to the villain that broke the bat. Nolan's art is exactly as I remember it. And turns out that that's not necessarily for the best. You know what? I actually <laughs> thought about that. I thought about that while I read it and I was like, surely he was better than this when I was reading him in the 90s. No, I think it just worked then at the time. And I don't know why. I pulled out a couple of my old Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan books. This is what he did. It really is. And I loved it then. It looks extremely dated and silly now. I mean, and I'm like, I'm okay with that in, in comics. Like, I, there's room in my heart. For but it starts with the mask. Comics and done it goes, in a classic style. It goes down from there. But it's, it's just like some of the storytelling choices and the body yeah. language of the characters. Yes. It's just like, this does not It didn't work. look right. The mask with, like you said, with the nose cut out and the red eyes. And like, it's just, we've gotten, silly looking. We've gotten away from that Bane. Yeah. We have moved away from that to a much cooler looking Bane. And... There's almost like a Chris Claremontism yeah. to this. We're like right. Chuck Dixon saying, bullshit, we did, you know, <laughs> we are going right back there. Later on in the show, I'm going to talk about my love of the Tekken video game intros and how they enthralled me as a youngster as well. <laughs> I had a very similar feeling to this. Some of the things that are, some things are easily romanticized and upon revisitation, they just don't hold up. Yeah. Here, Bane, I wrote seemed to be transplanted back. Here, Bane is solidly transplanted back to the early 90s. And I quickly realized the main things I love about the character were written and drawn by other creators. Regardless. It doesn't matter. This takes place. This looks like it takes place in a time capsule. Yeah, I'm not really sure when this is. This could be in the 90s for all I know. It may. Yeah, like it, it could, they could say that it's not in DC current continuity. I would be like, yeah. Yeah. They could say this is in the continuity of the old Nolan and Dixon bat books because that's what it feels like. Yeah. Bane is once again on the Venom, completely unstoppable and smashing his way through everything. The tubes are plugged back in and Bane is about as intelligent as Poison Ivy's henchman in the Batman and Robin movie. 
<laughs> his old buddies Trog, Bird, and Zombie are suddenly back. Remember too. them? Yeah. The Class. three of these characters together have appeared in less than a dozen Bat comics. Yeah. So I have to wonder why Dixon needs to bring them back. Here they act as hapless witnesses watching Bane's Leroy Jenkins routine as he screws he up did. every plan they set up for him. I will. You know, it was all- the 15th anniversary of the Leroy Jenkins event. Really? Yep. I will always love these creators. I want to stress that. I will never part with my Dixon and Nolan bat run, but I don't need this Bane back. This didn't work. It felt out of place, out of time, and it was just bad. I'm sorry, but Bane has become one of the most intelligent, scary bat nemesis out there, and they have returned him to a wrecking ball in a Mexican wrestling mask. I don't need it. I'm giving this a leave it. I was going to give it a skim it. No, I think you should stick with your original. Skim it? And here's why. I just got angrier and angrier while I reviewed it. This is why I think you should stick to your original rating. Because nostalgia is a powerful thing. Yes. Uh, And this is the exact definition of a book where... Uh, your mileage may vary, right. right? In terms of like how you respond. And quite honestly, if 18-year-old Matt Baum read this in 1993, I probably would have been fine with it. And there might be dudes out there that read this that are our age or older that were tickled pink by it. And and for me, that's why it's a skim it because while I, I recognize that it doesn't hold up to what I'm looking for in a modern comic, right? there's gotta be a place for this sort of like throwback storytelling. I just don't, I just didn't respond to it in this case. Yeah. And I have read other other books like Bug uh, is done in such a classic Silver Agey crazy style. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Let's hold on to that. I think the problem here is this, I'm pretty sure, is supposed to take place modern day. They're returning Bane. I'm, to- I'm saying not, I'm not saying the story itself. I'm saying like from a stylistic perspective, okay. right? And I do, I did love those books. And I think that if you, if I sat down, Saying what I'm saying now about this new work, if I sat down and read my favorite issues of the of the uh, Dixon and Nolan detective comics from back then, I would still love them. I would be like, yep, these are great. I would too because of where they were. My and problem what is, they meant to me at the time. This doesn't make sense to the character that we've come to know since then. I, it just feels... Like they forced it back into, like I said, Chris Claremont X universe, right? No, nothing changed. Yeah, right. I'm still in charge. You know, okay, <laughs> right. settle down, I, buddy. I think, I think it's got, for me, it's got to be a skim. And if you want to give it a leave it, that's fine. I just think that I'm giving it a leave it because I love the character so much. And this is not where you need to be. I would have liked to have seen, but how much of an impact is this really going to have on the character of well, Bane moving? Forward? I don't know. Hopefully not much, but I would have liked to have seen Dixon and Nolan sort of pay um, pay homage to all the other creators that have worked with Bane to bring him to where he is rather than just go, nope, none of that counts. It's my old Bane. He's got furry shoulders again, <laughs> tubes plugged into his back, and a oh, dog yeah. mask. He had know? some wicked hairy shoulders. Yeah, gross, man. <laughs> uh, I think you mean pay fromage. <laughs> pay fromage, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, it's a skimmer for me. I, I really wanted to love it. I was with Matt in terms of my excitement. I love these creators back in the 90s. Yeah. And, and even up into the 2000s, Chuck Dixon was still writing great comics for DC. Absolutely. And this was just something clicked. Maybe I've changed, but the world moved on and these guys didn't. Yeah, and Chuck did not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Joey, speaking of bugs, tell me about the Avengers of the Forager. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Bug. <laughs> the Adventures of Forager. Number one from DC slash Young Animal. Written by Lee Allred, with art by Mike and Laura Allred. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. An all-new Young Animal miniseries begins! Forager is just one of the hive before he breaks out of his cocoon and finds himself in a mysterious house in an unknown realm. There he meets all kinds of strange creatures, a ghostly girl, a talking teddy bear, and otherworldly weirdos that have literally jumped out of his worst nightmares. But these interdimensional oddballs are nothing compared to the evil General Electric, who is on the hunt for a reality-bending metal that could alter the fabric of life itself. How are they not getting sued for this? (laughs) To stay one step ahead of him and preserve the multiverse, Forager must travel through alternate dimensions to seek the metal and, hopefully, catch up with that cagey stuffed bear. If he does it, will he finally be able to distinguish himself as a new god? Question mark. Here's hoping. 
A good solicit can distill a comic's plot down to a few sentences, an alluring morsel that hooks the reader like a fish and starts reeling them in slowly. There's a metaphor going on there, baby. I know. <laughs> some solicits dump all the bait directly into the water. stop. Look at you. Hoping that some fish will just jump right into the boat. It's called chumming. <laughs> this solicit is more like throwing a stick of dynamite into the lake <laughs> and then scooping up the fish too stunned or dead to escape the explosion. Ladies and gentlemen, the longest fishing metaphor we've ever had on this show. Boom. <laughs> Barring a few specific details, it tells you exactly what happens in this issue from start to finish, but the fun in bug number one is in watching the moments unfold and letting them surprise you in the way that only Jack Kirby's weirder concepts can. Bug number one opens up sometime after the character's most impactful appearance in the pages of DC's Cosmic Odyssey nearly 30 years ago. I understand that Young Animal enjoys a very casual connection with DC continuity, but tying this story to one of DC's most underrated event books right off the bat starts the series off on the right foot for me. I had no idea. What do you mean? I, like, I didn't know. That's where he came from, and that's where we last saw him. I had no clue. Did you Have you never read Cosmic Odyssey? I don't believe I have, no. Oh, boy. It's so good. Huh. Mike Mignola. Yeah, I know. I know who did it. I just never read it. Bug, a.k.a. Forager, has woken up in a house full of secrets. Maybe even the house of secrets. I think it is. And is immediately beset upon by bizarre characters that make him question his very right to existence. But Forager will not give in to self-doubt again. He knows he has value beyond what the role of the society he was born into would grant him. But while he tries to make sense of what's happening around him, he's challenged at every turn by talking toys the personification of dreams and nightmares and a mad scientist with a glass dome skull. I love that gimmick. Yeah. Lee Allred touches on these heavy themes in his script, but keeps the action light and fun. The story is straight up weird and it doesn't apologize for it. And it's a perfect fit for the Ginchy faux silver age style that the Allred family has become known for. Artistically bug. Number one is a slam dunk. I mean, it's Mike Allred. Mike and Laura Allred have perfected that modern take on the silver age aesthetic. But true Silver Age art, with the exception of the king himself, was a simple was simple in comparison to the way Mike Allred packs a page full of detail. There are some especially striking pages in this issue, like the one where there's dominoes all laid out on the floor in the pattern of a mother box circuit board. That was pretty cool. That was awesome. And the splash page where Forger is hit with the vision of some of Jack Kirby's weirdest concepts. You got your Omax and your atlases and your... Uh, well, Dead Man's not Jack Kirby, but he was there too. Black Racer. Color artist Laura Allred brings to life every page with her bright color palette. If all Bug, the Adventures of Forger, ends up being is a sort of magical mystery tour through Kirby's most bizarre ideas, like the weird stuff that he got up to in the 70s, right. I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> if we're lucky enough, though, it will actually have something poignant to say about how we are the deciders when it comes to our role in society, not our parents, not our teachers, not our friends or anyone else. Either way, I'm on board. Bug number one was nuttier than a five-pound fruitcake. Yes. And I loved it. I'm you know what? It a buy it. Bug number one reminded me so much of Madman. Oh, for the, sure. The pacing, the humor, the art, which, of course, it was, you know, Mike and Laura Alred working on Madman. And it, like you said, it grabbed all the weird Kirby shit that I love. And instead of trying to overexplain it or modernize it or make it extreme or something, just embraced it went it's yeah. weird it doesn't actually make sense but no. this is going to be a weird cares, story right? it's going to be fun i love the way the forager looks his costume is great i love his flat head <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> this was just a lot of fun and i don't think you need to know anything about the kirby verse or worry about the new gods nope. or anything to read this and have a good time with it this is an absolute buy it So that was a very conflicted leave it and skim it for Van Conquest and a uh, pretty unanimous buy it for Bug. Yeah. Now it's your turn. Maybe you're a huge Trog fan or you hate the entire Allred family. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you thought about these comics. We love it when you tell us how wrong we are. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I don't really love it, but I'm open to it.
Next week, everyone's favorite Xenomorph returns to the big screen with yet another Ridley Scott alien film that's receiving mediocre reviews. So, Joe and I decided to introduce our new Xenomorph workout video series where we turn an alien loose in the ziggurat and run for our lives for 30 minutes. Don't open that door, Matt. Don't do this. Joe, I hope you're hydrated. Matt. Because if that thing catches us, there is no way we'll finish reviewing 10 more comics in this week's Ludicrous Speed Prime novel number one from Lion Forge. The Catalyst Prime universe begins here with this compelling tale by writer Brandon Thomas and artist Roger Robinson. I was totally sucked into the story of missing astronaut David Powell, a man with no memory of his past life on the run from a shadowy government organization. I would have liked a little bit more detail about the main characters, but they hit the ground running, and overall, the creative team kills it on this first issue. The Catalyst Prime universe is kicking off with a bang. Noble number one gets a huge buy it. Regression number one from Image. Colin Bunn isn't satisfied with his workload, so get ready for this tale of past lives and hypnotherapy with otherworldly art by Danny Luckert. Luckert's style is somewhere between the Luna Brothers and Josh Middleton, but with more emotion than I have seen in an artist for quite some time. I fell in love with his characters, and when they started vomiting maggots and flies, well, I couldn't turn away, kids. <laughs> I'm not sure where this story is going, but Bun has found someone very special in Luckert, and I've got to see where they're taking it. Buy this one. Come for the art, stay for the maggots. Yeah. Youngblood, number one from Image, finally. Yes. Down, set, fight, and X-Men 92 co-writer Chad Bowers joins with fan artist made good Jim Toe for the Youngblood revival you didn't know and still aren't sure that you needed. <laughs> Just in time for the team's 25th anniversary. God, we are old. Yep. When a young hero goes missing, his friends search for answers leads to some unexpected allies. Together, they'll do whatever it takes to find him, even if it means resurrecting the world's most infamous super team. Look, this wasn't half bad, and Jim Toe's art is really good. His art is great. Rob Liefeld couldn't resist shoving a nonsensical backup story into it, but I actually kind of enjoyed the main story. Despite my complete disconnect from the back half of the book, I'm giving Youngblood <laughs> number one a skim it. Okay. Mindbender number one from Scout. Writer James Pruitt sets up the story of a young boy with powers he doesn't understand accidentally murdering his parents during a way to somewhat go. generic carnival visit in Anytime USA. Twelve years later, our main character finds himself catatonic and strapped into a straitjacket because it makes him feel, quote, safe. Which is odd, because the catatonic typically don't let doctors know how they feel. Regardless, we find out that our catatonic friend has much more going on than the doctors think, and Federico de Lucia does a nice job with his Kelly Jones-style art, adding to an otherwise run-of-the-mill script. Mindbender was a perfectly fine story with great art. I'm giving it a skimmit. The Damned, number one, from Oni. Cullen Bond reunites with the Sixth Gun creative team of Brian Hurt and Bill Crabtree for a new ongoing series set after the first two minis. This show is lousy with Cullen Bunn and Chad Bowers. Yeah, it is. <laughs> In a Prohibition-era world where demonic princes pull the strings that make crime families dance, Eddie is a mortal with two things working for him. Not immortal, he's a-mortal. Oh, gotcha. First of all, he can't die, so I guess he's kind of immortal. Uh... Rather, he can die, but he doesn't technically stay dead for long. I think that makes him mo-mortal. Mo-mortal. Well, yeah. Second, Eddie runs the Gehenna Room, one of the hottest humans-only nightclubs in the city. So hard to get into. When one of Eddie's old pals shows up seeking sanctuary, Eddie knows he's in for a double cross. And that means walking the line between salvation and damnation Son once more. Son of a bitch. This takes place after the books that came before, but it still acts as a great jumping on point for new readers. I love the world of the damned. I do too. And the Sixth Gun art team has not lost a step. Brian Hurt was the original artist of the damned. Yep. They were in black and white, so Bill Crabtree's a new edition. And to top it all off, this first issue is only a dollar. That is the way to do it. What are you waiting for? Buy it! Nice job, Oni. Pestilence number one from Aftershock. In my day as a loudmouth comic book fan with an opinion, I have routinely savaged the work of writer Frank Thierry. But here, <laughs> I have to admit, he doesn't do a bad job with his tale of zombies in medieval times. The cursing does get a little ridiculous, and artist Oleg Okunev 
definitely studied at the J. Scott Campbell Oleg. School of Comic Art, but both carried the story well outside of a couple strangely placed orgy scenes. Zombies mm. versus knights in armor and plenty of sex. I mean, what more can a nerd want? I'm giving this a skim. Uh, it really takes me out of the story when period pieces have modern curse words in them. Yeah, I, definitely. And like, this was, did they have the F word in the Dark this Ages? Was very much modern cursing mm. going on. And boobs. Modern boobs, to be sure. Mm. Black Bolt, number one from Marvel. Award-winning science fiction writer Saladin Ahmed comes to comics for Black Bolt's first ongoing series. The former king of the Inhumans wakes up in a mysterious prison with no idea how he got there. The true nature of his captors and fellow inmates is only just starting to unfold. Brought to life by the trippy visuals of Odyssey and infinite vacation artist Christian Ward. He is great. Yes. I really loved this issue, and Ahmed was able to break through my doubts that an inscrutable mute protagonist could carry an ongoing series. Huh. No spoilers. I'm convinced Black Bolt number one gets a buy it. All right. Tekken, number one, from Titan. I loved the Tekken fighting games back in the day, and the best part was always the intros. Each one was a series of quick cuts, focusing on fighters doing ridiculous and awesome stuff with some sort of loose story centering around Jin Kazama and Hayachi Mishima. Kavan Scott and Andy Tong capture the magic and the nonsense of Tekken perfectly. Maybe a little too perfectly, because the story was barely present. Instead, we got a series of quick cuts focusing on fighters doing ridiculous and awesome stuff. Maybe stick to your Street Fighter comics. Tekken number one gets a very low skimming. <laughs> <laughs> Secret Warriors number one from Marvel! The Secret Empire is everywhere. It's and all Inhumans all the time! Yeah, really. And former agent Daisy Johnson, a.k.a. Quake, has put together the Inhuman Underground, including Ms. Marvel. I think it's Quacky. Quacky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ms. Marvel, Inferno, Karnak, Moon Girl, and Devil Dinosaur. Because why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's an Inhuman. I know. I really liked this first issue from Rising Star, Matthew Rosenberg. He's very good. He is very good. And the art by Javi Garan is really great. I, I really hate it when new series yeah. have to kick off their run as part of a huge event. Yeah, because when you try and revisit it later on, like years later, it's just it's instantly dated. Yeah. Instantly dated. I hope it continues to have its own identity once Secret Empire is over. So far, though, I enjoyed what I read. Secret Warriors number one gets a buy it. Still, no reason not to do this as a mini series and then launch it as a series. Sword Quest number zero from Dynamite. The team that wrote the now canceled X Men 92 helps Dynamite launch their new line of Atari comics, baby! With the story of an aging man with degenerative lung disease on a quest to steal the sword he was trying to win as a child while playing the original Atari Sword Quest game. Okay. Time out. Let's follow this. All right? This takes place in reality, not in the world of Sword Quest. Yeah. Sword Quest was a real game. There really was a contest back in the day to win a sword that they said was valued at $50,000 if you solved a riddle that was in the Atari game. So this is as meta as it gets. Only in comics, folks. Ghost Rider X is listed as the artist. And the mystery artist is great here. Weaving Atari-style graphics into an otherwise dark story. Picture Scott Pilgrim minus the cute, and you have got Sword Quest, and I am giving it a bite. Weird. Yeah. I'll check it out. It was cool. Type, type, typeity type is your onomatopoeia of the week, and type, type, typeity type is the sound of old man Logan, I don't know, Googling something, maybe. As seen in the pages of this week's Weapon X number three, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by listener Zach Hollowell. If you want to submit a sound effect, hit us up at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Tweet at us. Shoot us a Facebook. Yeah. Pick a sound effect it's less work for us. that you liked and send it to us, and you will be responsible for the onomatopoeia of the week. I'm sick of doing it. If you need more speedy reviews of this week's comics, head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out the ungoogleable genius of Aaron Myers' ludicrous speed round. Ungoogleable. <laughs> ludicrous speed reviews. <laughs> I can really feel the burn from that alien workout. Yeah, that was great, uh, right? Jesus. Let's, now let's cool down in the Fijian Sanctum Sanctorum with some light stretching and a heart-shaped herb shake. Oh, this thing tastes like dirt. Not full of flavor, I'll, <laughs> I'll admit it. Now help me stretch these quads, will you? And tell the kids what you're excited to read next week. 
My pick for next week goes to Sovereigns, number one from Dynamite. It's written by Ray Fox, art by Johnny Desjardins. Main cover by Steven Segovia. I love that guy. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here you go, folks. The epic that will redefine the gold key heroes again! Again! <laughs> the year is 2025. Turok has gone missing and Magnus is good and worried about that. When even a time-traveling mission to confer with Dr. Spectre and the creature once known as Solar don't yield any answers, Magnus must brave the unknown to track the missing hero down. Plus, an all-new Magnus backup by Kyle Higgins and Jorge Fornes that sets the stage for next month's big announcement. Is this the one where Magnus is a lady? Yes. All right. I guess. I mean, here we go. Sure. I, again, I like these characters. I'd like to see them succeed. I like Ray Fox. Just give them to Valiant, please. Lay it on me. I don't, yeah, maybe. Just give them to Valiant, If this doesn't please. work, can we all agree? They just go back to Valiant. They'll know what to do. Joe Patrick, what's your pick for next week? Oh, next week, because I'm a glutton for punishment. My pick is Generation X number one from Marvel Comics, written by Christina Strain, with art by Emil Carpina. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The Xavier Institute for Mutant Education and Outreach has opened its doors and is ready to foster the next generation of heroes and diplomats. But this time around, the X-Men recognize an unfortunate truth. Not all mutants are created equal. Some mutants are not made to fight Sentinels or serve as ambassadors on behalf of their kind. Some mutants will just be lucky to survive another day in a world that hates and fears them. And who better to mentor mutant kind's lovable losers than perpetual sidekick Jubilee? But will Jubilee and Generation X! They really threw that yeah. caps lock in at the last yeah, minute. Yeah, no doubt. Will they survive the experience? What part of this is, sounds exciting to you? Just out of curiosity. I think it's a great concept. The idea that yeah, the X-Men finally have recognized that, yes, some of these mutants are not fit to fight crime sure. or, or put on costumes or go in front of the UN or whatever. Sure. Some of them are just covered in eyeballs. I get it. Like, I, I love the idea that they've said, yes, okay, please get these people together. It's like this, um, the special class from Grant Morrison's new X-Men. I know. And I get it. I just tired of new every year getting another team of new X characters that will be forgotten next year. I'm I mean, these characters could have been in the background of other X books for a while. Maybe know, there's just so many other X characters that we're not doing anything with. Why do we need more? That's I, that's just grumpy old fan me there. I'm just pissed that, you know, none of the new mutants are represented on any X team. Right you now. just wish they'd bring back skin. I loved skin. He's dead. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think it's a great quirky concept. I don't know how it can last as an ongoing series. I I, I don't know what the stakes are going to be, but yeah. I just like the, it's hooked me. The idea has hooked me. And honestly, you know who should be leading this team? Chambers should be leading this team. He's a perfect example of a mutant that is, should not be using his but power. But he's terrifyingly powerful. Yeah, but he is terrifyingly powerful. He <laughs> would be a fantastic leader. I also don't care about Jubilee. And if hey, you know what? And I like still Jubilee, a vampire. So eat shit. Is she feeling better? What? Uh, I think she's still a vampire. She's feeling much better now. <laughs> no, she's just, she's come to grips with it. God. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Free Country, a tale of the children's crusade, the trade paperback from Vertigo Comics. It's written by Neil Gaiman and Various. I'm sort of 50-50 with Various's work. Art by Mark Buckingham and Various. It's 208 pages. That's a double threat, though. Various writes and draws. I know. <laughs> For $19.99. What a bargain. That is a bargain. Here's your solicit. The two-issue miniseries, The Children's Crusade, is collected and, with them, a new chapter that completes the tale, as Neil Gaiman originally envisioned it. When several children go missing in a small English town, the dead boy detectives are on the case. I love the dead boy detectives. Me too. A series of twists takes them to free country, a place that dates back a millennium where children never grow old and are free from the abuse and tyranny of adults. But free country is failing. And what it needs is the strength of five innately powerful children, including the young sorcerer, Timothy Hunter. I loved him too, to restore their uncanny world to what it once was. Sounds like they've got uh, some need for some adults with economic experience. <laughs> uh, so I picked this. Uh, I remember the Children's Crusade. It was sort of a, a Vertigo crossover, kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was great. Uh, in the early days of Vertigo. It touched on Hunter. It touched on uh, think, Books of Magic. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, Hunter, it was in Books of Magic, but Dead Boy Detectives, Dead Boy Detectives was from Sandman. Mm -hmm. So it kind of crossed over a lot of these Vertigo worlds that were mostly separate. Yes. 
Um, and yeah, so Gaiman coming back to finish the story like a, a in a like a director's cut kind of style. I'm into it. Into it. Sounds great. So there's our picks for next week. Be sure to drop us a tweet or a Facebook burp if you see something you think we've got to read. We got to go, man. We're going to miss the previews. Who cares? We've seen all the previews. And if I have to sit through one more pre-show infotainment reel because of your damn timeliness, so help me. It's Nerd at the Movies time where Matt and I get down and nerdy on your favorite comic book movies. This week, we're digging into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Unlike the whole damn internet, we're going to keep our review as spoiler-free as possible. Okay, all right. Matt, give us a quick setup. The Guardians are back in the second installment of director James Gunn's beloved comedy space opera. This time, Star-Lord comes face-to-face with his daddy issues when Kurt Russell shows up to reconnect with his long-lost son. But does he have Junior's best interests in mind? Joey, what do you think of the latest... G-O-G installment, which from here on forward, we will refer to as GOG. Uh, I, believe, is I believe the GOG preferred... GOG 2. <laughs> I believe the preferred acronym is G-O-T-G. Yeah, but that's harder to say. GOTGA. <laughs> I don't know. I like GOG. Guardians of Galaxy. Yes, Guardians of Galaxy. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's really good. It it's, was. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, it's the same kind of uh, quirky, uh, laugh-heavy... Definitely. Uh, style as the original movie. Let me ask you this. It's taking some criticism for that. And uh, for yeah. instance, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at like 81%, whereas the first one was at like a 96 or something ridiculous. Yeah, very high. But the main criticism seems to be, oh, they're going for it's the same more laughs. It's the same. Yeah. I mean, right. is that a, do you think that's a bad thing? I think it can be a bad thing, yes. but it depends on what you're looking for when you go into it. Right. I right? would argue this is not Home Alone 2, where like we're going to do the same exact formula, only it's in New York this time. Yeah, like, right. No, I, I totally disagree with that. I think the laughs are there. The character jokes and punchlines are there. Yes, the music is there again, but that's all part of the show. And if it wasn't there... Or they drast- did something drastically different with all those gags. I don't know that it would work. I think that where I'm uh, seeing the criticism is not necessarily that they're trying to repeat the old formula. It's that they're trying to take specific moments from the first movie and recreate them. Which I do kind of agree with. Like, did you love that scene where the uh, Ravagers crashed on Xandar and Yandu took out like six dudes with... In two seconds with his whistle arrow, mm-hmm. we've got that. But it's like 50 dudes over the course of like a five minute music video. But I would also argue that it establishes him as a whole sure. new character. Right. No, I'm too. not saying that I'm not saying that I had a problem with it, but I'm saying I understand where they're coming from. Oh, remember at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy where baby Groot was dancing and he'd stop every time with Drax would look at him. We got that, too. Well, yeah, but it also even like, though it doesn't make any way any, any sense at all to do it. It opens the film. I get it. And it establishes that baby Groot is not, you know, the same Groot. He's, no, I mean, I don't mean the dancing part. I mean, like specifically, right. even though he'd been dancing around and talking and doing whatever, when Drax lands next to him, he freezes. Well, yeah, because there's also a huge fight going on. No. And he's like, whoa. No. Okay, I'm cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep doing my thing. That didn't bother me at all. It didn't bother me either, but I get it. Like, I get where they're sure. coming from with that. Sure. I think it's a fun story. I liked all the characters. I liked the the greater focus on Yondu. Yes. Um, I thought, okay, the one thing that I thought... Specifically the relationship, the father-son relationship. That's where I'm going with this. I would argue that the first Guardians of the Galaxy started as a very personal story about Star-Lord and moved into, well, then Star-Lord meets all these people and he's thrust into an unlikely hero position. Great. This one goes very, very personal with Star-Lord. And his friends are around him, but they certainly don't play as big a part as they did in the last movie. Right. This one is very much about Star-Lord, his adopted father, and his real father. And I thought they did an absolutely precious job of showing us this story, you know, of like a boy without a dad, you know, like he told his friends that his dad was Michael Knight from Knight Rider, you know, because he grew up in the eighties and like that still bothers him and he's still upset about it, you know? And I, I just thought this was way more personal than the first movie. And I loved that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. It was far cuter, if you will, in storytelling 
And I think that really set it apart. This didn't feel like more of the same to me. The performances are the performances. You know what Batista is going to do as Drax. Uh, You know what Saldana is going to do as Gamora. You know we're going to get more wisecracking Groot and Rocket. And Star-Lord is Andy from Parks and Rec in Outer Space. So if you don't like that going into it, I would argue that's your fault. Right, (laughs) right. This, I, I thought the performances were great. I loved Kurt Russell in this. Oh, yeah. Kurt Kurt Russell has become your go-to older guy who seems nice, but is actually a complete son of a bitch. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's too big of a spoiler to say, surprise, Ego the Living Planet is not a good guy. Right. Um, Now, let's get into some of the, I mean, like all actual, you know, movie reviewing aside, let's get into some of the really nerdy stuff. Ego the Living Planet, for example. Yeah. Real nerds, real Marvel nerds who love the Marvel Cosmic Universe could have some problems with this. I jerked my knee a little bit when I, when I said, that's where they're going with this? Well, right, because when they, when they said... And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that his dad is a celestial. He, had, he calls himself a celestial. Well, I don't it's think not it's a spoiler because it doesn't mean anything. Right. In it's the not context Im- of these movies, it's not important a the celestial story. does not mean anything. Did that bother you? It didn't bother me, but I know that it bothered you. It bothered me. You like you got so caught up on the semantics of the term. Well, it just bothered me because in the first movie we saw nowhere the space station that is the head of a dead celestial. They didn't say that though. They just said like the severed head of a dead a space, space god, god or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, and maybe they don't know. Fine, we can look at that and say that's one of fucking Jack Kirby celestials. No question. Right. So they established that, and here they sort of I established that. Kurt Russell is also a celestial. I so he is a space god and has a living embodiment of his ego on the planet that he lives on, which is also him. And he's a, a celestial. Well, I didn't need that. So going back to ego, when they announced that ego was going to be uh, Kurt Russell was playing ego and he would be Star Lord's father. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, they're gonna rob me of the opportunity of seeing ego the living planet. On screen. They're just going to take the name and butcher it. Didn't do that at all. No, they leaned heavy into it. Big time. And I loved that about it. Like, Ego is like, yep, I built myself a body, and now I'm going around doing doing Kurt Russell stuff. And I think they should have stopped there. That's fine. The fact that they used the term celestial just made me roll my eyes because yeah. I know that it's never going to come up again. Yeah. I don't care. We don't need it. On to the, uh, there's a, a, a group of people, golden skinned called the sovereign. Right. Uh, that have hired the guardians of the galaxy to protect their property from a ravaging space monster. That's the intro of the movie. Mm-hmm. And they are identified as Cree purists. Uh, so they're like Cree religious fanatics. Right. Why? You don't have to call them the friggin' Cree. Yeah, they could have been anyone. There is already a crazy space religion established in the Marvel Universe. Right. Why didn't you just call them the Universal Church of Yeah, Truth? maybe they're just an offshoot of that, yeah. you know, or whatever. Yeah, I didn't need them to be Cree either. But again, that's just like the fact that they are called Cree is, again, never really going to come up. It's not no. going to be a thing. No, but it, it does. I know from a super nerdy, you know, Marvel cosmic point of view, it does seem like lazy storytelling. Yeah. It could be a little lazy. Well, I mean, that's just sort of, that's sort of like, and there's no reason why they could have introduced the scrolls here or something, you know, I mean, the, in Mark Miller's, the ultimate, Hey, they could have been Chitari. Think about that for a minute. All right. Well, the Chitari looked like space Egyptian <laughs> zombies. I know <laughs> the, when Mark Miller wrote the ultimates back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, <laughs> he invented the Chitari as this race of shape-shifting aliens. And so in the context of the ultimate universe, the Chitari are the ultimate version of the Skrulls. Yes. They even say so in the comic that like we've been, we've been known by many names, blah, blah, right. blah, 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 Skrulls, whatever. Uh, and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe was just like, Chitari, got it. Is it not? Uh, let's think put maybe- these weird jackal-faced alien monsters in Egyptian headdresses and call them the Chitari. Is it maybe because Fox has the rights to the Skrulls as part of their Fantastic Four bullshit? I guess. Maybe? I would guess. That's got to be the only reason I can think of. But that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's just like, well, then don't... You don't have to call them the char- Chitari, call them the, then. Introduce the Badoon. Yeah, Nobody, right. Nobody's doing shit with the Badoon. Make them lizard face. Like, that would have been awesome. The, ch- <laughs> the Chitari aliens are, was like my least favorite part of the yeah. Avengers movie. Not that the big battle was cool, wasn't cool or anything, but it's like, 
they are so devoid of personality. Right. And now, because the Avengers movie was so popular, that the Chitauri have been shoved back into the Marvel comics right. everywhere we go, everywhere we look. Had they made this the Badoon, and they were a race of like space dog we, apes, they, the Badoon are like super scaly lizards, yeah. and they're, they're obsessed the, with video games. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> the Badoon are like the 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 aliens from V without the fake skin. Right. Uh, make yeah, do the Badoon. That would have been awesome. But yeah, uh, we're a little off track. But yeah, I still though. That's just like semantic quibbles. I thought that the sovereign were kind of fun. Yeah, no, they were the idea that they flew around in like little video game ships. They was did neat. fun stuff with them. Definitely, that was. I don't have a problem with that, and they looked cool. I'm fine with that too. Yeah, you know, I mean. Let's get into uh, Sylvester Stallone. There was a whole thing without right, spoiling. We're not going to say anything, no. but um, it is Sylvester Stallone and some of the other pretty recognizable character actors that appear right. very briefly in the movie are known Marvel characters. Yes. We are not going to say which Marvel characters they are. Um, I will say, though, that this is another case where I'm a little bit let down by it because. Okay. Not, uh, it's like uh, they're using them in name only, right? They're not really embracing who those characters are. Well, so far, I, I mean, who knows where they're going to go with this? That's, yeah. that's what I, I'm, I want to talk about now is what you mentioned leaning in to some of this stuff. They really lean in to some cheese ball, Marvel cosmic ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the it's not just Sylvester Stallone and those around him. There are some other ideas that pop up in the very end that just blew me away. Oh yeah. Absolutely yeah. blew me away. Yeah. And the public that doesn't know anything about the guardians of the galaxy or Marvel cosmic is just going to go, Oh, all right. I guess that's what's happening. But I feel like real Marvel cosmic nerds. I, I mean, we were looking around the theater, like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> that's what you're going to do. Hey, you know, that kind of takes me to another point about this movie that I wanted to touch on. And that is that guardians of the galaxy volume two did not seem too concerned about kicking the ball of the Marvel Cinematic Universe downfield. Not at all. Other than Nebula mentioning a couple times that she wants to kill Thanos, mm -hmm. which we already all, we knew that. Right. Uh, there is nothing to set up Avengers. It's all about moving the story of the Guardians specifically. Yeah. And I was totally fine with it. Totally. It was great. And yeah, like you said, the, there were five credit cookies in this movie. Five yeah. little scenes interspersed throughout the credits. And most of them were like jokey and fun. Uh, but yeah, a couple of them were just like hardcore. I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah. In a, in a wildly nerdy billion stuff. dollar movie. Franchise. Yeah, wildly yeah. nerdy stuff. <laughs> so I'm very excited for where they go with the guardians movies. I'm totally thrilled to have them be this kind of separate part of the Marvel cinematic yeah. universe. Like they're out there. Well, like, they feel much different too. This is way more lighthearted than anything else that's going on in the Marvel universe. Right. Like they, there are still stakes. People are still getting killed. The universe is still in the balance and whatnot, but it is like, this one is a family comedy. <laughs> right. It really you is. Know, like, and that's fine because the guardians of the galaxy are such a popular concept these days. The Marvel comics just can't help, but have those characters show up yeah. wherever they can afford to shove them in, whether it makes any sense or not. They're called the guardians of the galaxy. Why did they show up during civil war two? Yeah. Why? Yeah, there was, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. No, it was just, they went away in. <laughs> uh, so it, like, it doesn't make any sense to me that, uh, well, we got to make time for the Guardians of the Galaxy to stop by Earth and meet Tony Stark in yeah. the movie. I, I'm so yeah, don't do it. I'm yeah. fine, and that's fine. And we know the Avengers are going to go into outer space, and we know that they're going to meet him at that point. And great, yeah. I mean, it. if the Guardians are in Avengers Infinity War, that's fine because at least, like you said, they are. They already announced they are. But at least it makes sense. But yes, I don't need. I don't need. Yeah, those you don't need the Guardians showing up in Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Like, I want right. to get a pastrami sandwich. You know, right. I missed them. Oh, I was hi. really craving. I'm Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, I was really craving that shawarma. So we both loved it. We're both giving it a huge. Yeah, it's a watch it. It's a watch it. It's a go to the theaters, watch it. It was great. Definitely see it on the big screen. We yeah. went to um, our our local theater, Exarban Cinema. Very great theater. 
um, has one of those. Until they start giving us free movie tickets, we will never say their name again. Yeah, right. That's Up all you buttocks, get. You sorry. get one. <laughs> uh, they have one of those like fancy deluxe screens where it's bigger than the rest of them, and they have the crazy sound system in it. And it was a blast. It was a blast. It looked great. It felt. It sounded great. It was funny as hell. Soundtrack, I, of course, is wonderful. I walked out in a great mood, and that's all we can ask. I will say know. that, like, I still think the first one was better. I mean, I don't disagree, but it's really hard to capture. Especially when you have a first movie that is so damn good. Like, you could argue, like, the first uh, Spider-Man film that came out in the 90s was fine. But then we saw the second Spider-Man film and went, holy shit, the one with Dr. Octopus is way better. So it was a step up. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen very often. Right. And I'm not, like, I don't want to say that this movie is somehow worse. Because as sequels go, it's killer. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's just like you said, the, the guardians, uh, the first guardians movie was just, it was a real special moment in, in comic book movies yeah. where you could say it was goddamn James, near perfect. James Gunn came and said, guess what we can do? Guess what we're going to get about right. to get away it with? It was a right place, right time, yeah. ridiculous soundtrack. This is going to work. Everybody loved it. And now all the Marvel movies going forward are going to be trying to crib that formula. Thor Ragnarok is just like. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Here's some Led Zeppelin music, but also and a bunch of Jack Kirby imagery. Thor Ragnarok is set in space. I'm, Maybe I'm like, this I is am what, into it. This is what space is like in the Marvel Give Universe. Give me face painted Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. I'm, I am ready. Totally down. Go. The moral of the story: Go see Guardians of the Galaxy. These two nerds loved it. You will too. The next time you hear from these two nerds at the movies, we'll be talking Wonder Woman. Mm. I know. Cautiously optimistic. Me too. Not going to be hard for Warner Brothers to make a good one. I'll say that. <laughs> the bar is set very low. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Before we get out of here, let's check the THN mailbag. Yep. Yep, it's here. Matt, it's time for another postcard from the Orca. Dear Marvel Comics, it's not me. It's you. <laughs> yep. After more than 40 years reading your stuff on a weekly basis, the Orca is breaking up with you. Look, I know this is hard. We've had some great times. Days of Future Past, Simonson on Thor, early McFarlane. Even that time when you felt like you were getting too old and predictable, so you had a little work done and gussied yourself up with the ultimate line. Anyway, this isn't some conscientious decision I made. Like most relationships, this ended because we faded away from each other and neither of us cared enough to fix it. It wasn't until I filled out my pre-orders for July that I noticed I didn't sign up for even one Marvel book. I guess I was as shocked as you are right now. When I look at it though, we've just drifted too far apart. The problems are the same things that cause fights in all relationships. First, it was money. Just why I've Felt like I finally adjusted to $3.99, you jumped the best books up to $4.99. It's a comic book, not blowjob in Singapore. <laughs> then the tricks began. New issue every four weeks instead of monthly. Small, tolerable. But then new issue every three weeks. Now in some cases every two weeks. It's deceitful. It's just too much to spend each month. It's a hobby, not a Lexus payment. You got so comfortable thinking you're the only game in town. Well, you ain't. DC's got itself in fine shape again. Valiant is a younger, hipper, and more unpredictable girl. Image is like that tattooed emo chick from the coffee shop. <laughs> sure, sometimes she's an introverted librarian on the rag. But more often, she's straight-up crazy DTF and showing guys stuff they ain't never even dreamt of before. Then there's all my old flames. Yeah, they're still out there. And now with the eBay, I can sample those goods for a fraction of the nut you want to take each month. I'll fess up. I just bought the entire run of James Robinson's Starman and the first 15 issues of Shade is a lot for less than a buck an issue. I'd never read Neil Gaiman's Sandman, a glaring hole in my comic fan resume. Just bought myself a complete run, 75 issues for 200 bucks. That's less than $3 a piece, and I can sell it when I'm done. $200 would barely get me all the issues from your last three events in this Secret Empire bullshit. Oh, and while I'm on that track, too many secrets between us. Secret Wars, Secret Empire, Secret <laughs> Wars 2. 
Secrets have no place in a healthy relationship. And these events, your big gift to me, you even fucked those up. Delays, changing the number of issues, then issues of regular books that spoil the end of the event don't make sense. The plot lines bounce around like a fart in a mitten. Shit, I don't feel like you really care about like your crap what? that much anymore. Fart in a mitten. <laughs> Next, you started with debate and switch. Great creators on a book, but just a start, just a tease. Del Mundo on Avengers, gone. Sorrentino on Old Man Logan, gone. Smallwood on Moon Knight, canceled. And those are just in the last two months. You can't keep wearing crotchless panties to bed, then telling me you have a headache. See it through, you con artist. Obviously, the big reason I'm done is that you've changed so much, I just can't recognize the gal I fell in love with. Wolverine's a little girl, so's Iron Man. Thor's an old broad. Hulk's a punk, Hawkeye's sexy, but she ain't my Clint. Cyclops is 14. Iceman is gay. Two Spider-Men, now three. What's next, a transgender daredevil? <laughs> ben Grimm made a jello pudding? I know, I know you're going to fix it. Everything will be the way we used to be. Then you'll want me to thank you for changing back. And forget that you made Captain America a fucking Hydra agent. Well, I'm not falling for it again. Sure, I might read old Marvel stuff. Like going through an old photo album and remembering the times we had. But I'll be paying some pimple-faced prick from Toledo pennies on the dollar for 12 issues of Next Wave before I give you one red cent. Kiss, kiss, the orca. Excelsior! Oh. Kids, that is it for THN number eight. If you dig podcasts with serious daddy issues, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And while you're doing so, give us some reviews. We need some iTunes reviews, some stars and stuff like that, because it helps keep us relevant and it moves us up in the search engines and stuff like that. Only you can help the two-headed nerd succeed. We can't do it ourselves. I can't afford the Chinese click farms, you know, so I need you guys to help. I mean, I've already written a review of my own show. I can't do it again. Yeah. We want to send a mammoth thanks to everyone that's supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Allison York became the latest member of our Patreon gang this week. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for your generous donations. It's plucky ladies like Allison that keep the ziggurat life support systems humming. It's true. Remember, next week it's time for another action-packed edition of THN Cover to Cover, where you can call us live, or you can send us an MP3, leave a message on the ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. It's a fun show where you can talk about anything that we did on this week's show. You can talk about anything that's happening that week. It is a call-in show for you. You call in, you control it, answer the question of the week, we'll just talk smack. We want to hear from you. Before we go, a weekly shout-out goes to Ian Kelly, who reached out to us. We didn't even have to bother him. And he offered up the amazing musical catalog of his legendary UK music sensation, Love Fungus, for our use on THN. Can you believe that? Not only that, but he's also a loyal Patreon supporter as well. Word to you, Ian. He's a sweetheart. You're too good to us. Come on, Ian. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might leave you with some love fungus that's hard to shake. Oof. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. You gotta stick a needle straight in there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Ah, you're You didn't have to take us all the way there. <laughs> I thought I did it gently enough. <laughs>